Welcome to the Black and Green Podcast. It's your go-to place to find the latest high-quality, all-natural products created by Black artisans. Hosted by yours truly, Dr. Kristen H., the founder of Black and Green, we'll discuss all things health, wellness, self-care, and of course, self-love. This podcast features a refreshing lineup of guests, from entrepreneurs and artisans to holistic lifestylists and clean beauty experts, and a plethora of other innovators within the wellness industry. Join me as we learn from the best of the best. I'm so excited today. We have an amazing guest. I will let her introduce herself. Hi, everyone. My name is St. Clair Dietrich Jules. I'm an author, activist, filmmaker, and photographer born and raised in Washington, D.C. This is so exciting. So you reached out to me asking to be on my podcast. What were you hoping to accomplish? I love the mission of Black and Green. And actually, one of my publicists first sort of put me on to your site and all of the work that you do. And I love this idea of holistic health and wellness for Black women. I think self-care and self-love are both so important for for black women, you know, so often we're taught that we always have to hustle and we can't really, uh, you know, we can't just relax. And so I really like that this is a space that's centered around black women. Mm, I love that. When you think of holistic, what does that mean to you? I think for me, holistic means body, mind, and spirit. Mm. So taking care of all aspects of ourselves, I often find myself neglecting one or more of these pieces, right? So, you know, maybe I'll be focusing on my mind and then I realize I haven't really moved my body or I'm eating poorly or I'm not getting exercise or maybe I'm getting a lot of exercise, but I'm not meditating, that kind of thing. And so Mm. I, I think it's so important for, um, for us just to have like a well-rounded approach to taking care of all parts of ourselves. Yeah. It's almost like juggling. So you're trying to always make sure you're juggling all the balls, making sure they all stay up in the air. What's the one for you that you feel like you drop most frequently? That's a good question. I feel, <laughs> I feel like oscillates between men- mental and physical health, um, but I've been better about physical health now. So I think, I think I would say, I, I stress myself out a lot. And so sometimes I, I would say most often I'm dropping the meditation, being, mm-hmm. being, you know, you know, intentional with my thoughts. That's, I think where I have the most room for growth. Mm. Being more intentional with your thoughts. Where do you feel like your thoughts usually lead you? Sometimes I feel like my thoughts come up with, you know, like my mind just comes up with worst case scenarios for Mm. certain things. I think there's, there's like a SpongeBob meme about meme about this and everything is on fire. And sometimes I feel like that's how my brain is, you know? (laughs) And I mean, I think part of it is just, that's a reflection of the state of the world right now, right? Things are so Mm -hmm. crazy. And so I really need to sit down and remind myself that everything is going to be okay. And some things that I, that I stress about and I think are the end of the world, right. It's not actually that big of a deal, right? Like due dates, um, jobs, like all of, all of these things are only temporary. And so I try to ground myself and revisit this idea that our existence isn't determined by these sorts of numbers, right? 
Yes. Something that's interesting is that I find people who are usually lost in their thoughts easily tend to be amazing authors. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, I think I could see that. I think I'm, I think a lot of authors are introverted, not all obviously, but Mm -hmm. I've heard from a lot of authors, a lot of other authors that they spend a lot of time in their own in their own thoughts, right? More, more so just observing the world. And Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I can relate to that as an author and as a photojournalist, I feel like I, I spend a lot of time just observing, listening and watching. Mm, Yes. So how has that manifested for you? What are you creating out of this kind of get lost in my thoughts might be the more negative way of thinking about it, but using your thoughts to kind of guide you down a path. Yeah. So my, you know, my first book that I just published, My Beautiful Black Hair, 101 Natural Hair Stories from the Sisterhood was, it was interesting because it's a photojournalism book. And so for the first, you know, for the first few months, year that I was working on it, I was with people a lot, right? I was meeting up with people to photograph them and, um, and, and to interview them in person, right. And to film them. And, after that period of sort of being really social and meeting up with a lot of people, you know, who were, who were going to be included in the project. Then there was a long period where I was very, I don't want to say antisocial, but I was very focused on putting all of these photos and interviews together. And so I spent a lot of time sort of in front of my computer working through, you know, working through the interviews, organization, order, editing photos, but it, but it never felt lonely, mm. I think, because even though I was physically by myself, I was working with all of these photos of other people and mm. all of these interviews from other people. And so it felt like I was always in conversation, right? I didn't feel like I was really alone. Mm, I like that. And so it's this kind of this interesting idea of conversation and the way that can work when you're physically talking to someone or when you read something, or when you're listening to a podcast, you can still be having a conversation. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's really important, right? That we're constantly sort of thinking about the world around us and interacting with the world around us. And that's, I I don't know, I think that's one reason why I I love TV, but I try not to watch too much of it because I, I, I realize when I'm watching TV, I feel like I just sort of absorb the content that's thrown, that's thrown at me Mm. as opposed to when I'm reading a book or like you said, right. Listening to a podcast, I feel like I, I, I have this, have more of an urge to sort of connect with whatever I'm listening to or whatever I'm reading. Mm, That's very interesting idea. I don't think I've thought of it that way. Um, think a thought of a a podcast or a book or as a more of a conversation whereas tv is more of a one-way one-way exchange yeah yeah and I mean definitely not you know not all tv I know there's a lot of really great um tv out there and and I definitely do watch some shows but I you know (laughs) I don't want to you know I don't want to judge anything I and I, I do watch some reality shows like the British Bake Off and stuff like that. But I feel like when I'm watching reality shows, for example, I'm not putting much thought into it, right? It's almost mm-hmm. like I'm just passively absorbing whatever's coming at me as opposed to books or podcasts. 
uh, that are really intended to make me think more deeply. And, and, you know, there is some TV or, or documentaries, especially, I think that do a really good job of that too. Sometimes that really make you think critically about, about, about the world, about race, about gender, whatever the topic is. Right. Mm, I think it's like the idea is that their desire or their goal was to get their audience or the readers or their listeners to think critically in the book that you have created, what did you want people to think critically about? So I created this book because my little sister, Chloe, was being bullied about her her afro. She goes to a majority white school. And so that her classmates were bullying her and telling her that her hair was ugly. And so the, you know, the first person who I wanted this book to impact was my little sister, was Chloe. I wanted her to be able to think more deeply about her hair outside of this context of her little school where her kids are bullying her and no one looks like her. I wanted her to be able to recognize that there's this whole world out here of black women and girls who love and embrace their natural hair, right? So I wanted her to see her own beauty reflected in them. I wanted all black women and girls to be able to see themselves represented. I wanted all black women and girls to be able to have a space to think about everything that's gone on in their lives and society that's made them um, absorb these ideas that curly, kinky hair is less beautiful, less professional. Right. So first and foremost, I think, you know, it's a space for black women to think about these things, but then also it's a space for, you know, allies and non-black people to, to think about black hair, because I've talked, you know, since publishing the book, I've talked to a lot of non-black people and they've said, Oh my gosh, I had no idea that, you know, black people went through all of this with their hair. So, you know, this is just one aspect of, of racism and discrimination in our society, but it's such an important one to address. And so I hope that my book helps move along that conversation. Mm. You say move along that conversation. Is the thought more from a policy perspective? Is it more from a, I want a a little girl to feel comfortable in their own skin? Kind of what's the big vision that you see? I see both. So I think that the policy perspective is really important. And the Crown Act is doing a really great job of trying to legalize, uh, you know, natural hair, Afrocentric hairstyles in the workplace and and at schools. And so I think we do need legal protection obviously, for our natural hair. Yes, I, I, when I work in the hospital, I used to get, um, I don't know the correct word for it, but I was definitely chastised. <laughs> so that's what I could think of for the way I, I wore my hair. And a, a mentor, she called herself, was trying to warn me that I might need to change my hair if I wanted to move up in the company. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's, and these, these stories are so common. Like there was this one woman, a friend of mine who was going to be in my book and she was really excited about doing the big chop and getting rid of her perm and everything. But then at the last minute she decided she didn't want to do it because she has a government job and she was worried that, you know, going natural would impact her, her chance at future promotions. And so it it really is crazy because our hairstyle doesn't impact our ability to do our job. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's funny or not so funny, honestly, it's this extra stress 
that we carry on ourselves to make us fit into a certain Eurocentric view to be accepted in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And I think that we've lost touch. So many of us have lost touch with our roots and with our ancestry. And I mean, that was obviously in, intentional with, with slavery and colonization and all of that, right? They've, they've wanted us to lose touch with our roots, but I think it's so important for us to reclaim that history and reclaim where, where we come from, because, you know, one of the women I interviewed said, we're the first, right? All life comes out of Africa. And so it's really a shame that we're being taught that our features, that our hair isn't beautiful. Mm. Why do you think we do that? I think, I think it's a form of dominance. And Mm. I mean, we've seen even in, you know, the 1700s, there were the Tignon laws in Louisiana, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. prohibited, uh, you know, free or enslaved women of color. So, you know, black women from wearing their hair out Mm-hmm. in public. They literally had to cover their hair. And I think that this policing of the black body is, mm. is just another form of dominance um, by white supremacy. And that's why I see black women wearing their natural hair as such a revolutionary act, because still to this day, there's so much in society that tells us that our our hair isn't beautiful, that it's yes. unprofessional. yes. Yeah. So I think, I think it's important for us to relearn beauty standards, right? Outside of the lens of whiteness. I understand that. Um, I'm sure the listener is thinking, but my creamy crack makes it so much easier for me to manage my hair. (laughs) 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 That's an argument I hear all the time that yes, I understand the political Um, I understand the historical impacts of wearing my hair natural, but wearing my hair natural is a long endeavor. And uh, having my hair relaxed makes it so much easier. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And I I guess I have a couple thoughts about that. I think, you know, one of the one of the big things that I've been thinking about with the natural hair movement is that there's this emphasis that I've seen on having defined curls Mm -hmm. as opposed to just you know, a picked out Afro, for example. Right. And so there's, you know, it's, it's like, you have to have, you know, you can't just have natural hair. You have to have defined ringlets and you have to do your edges and it has to be styled in a certain way and whatever, whatever. And so I, I think that, I think that if we work to dismantle these ideas, which I think even that idea of having defined curls as as opposed to a picked out Afro, I think that's even rooted in white supremacy and distancing ourselves from blackness. And so I think that, you know, I, and I I don't know because every black woman's hair texture is different, but one of the women I interviewed had, you know, thick 4C hair and she just picked her hair out in an afro. She didn't, you know, do the whole, I have to have defined curls, like that kind of thing. And she said, you know, from her perspective, doing her hair is pretty easy because that's it. She's just, she's picking it out, right? Mm -hmm. She's not um, adhering to this idea that, that there's a right way to be natural. And and so I guess that's, that's one thing that I would say, but, but again, I totally understand. And it's such a personal decision, you know, what we do with our hair. And I don't, you know, I don't obviously want to tell anyone what they can or can't do. I think that, nor can you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We all, you know, I think the thing is, I just want black women to have autonomy, over our own hair because for so long we've been told that 
straightening our hair is the only way to be yes. beautiful. But the truth is that our natural hair is, is just as beautiful, right? We yes. can do either. It's the choice. Yeah. Wanting to be able to make a choice of what works for you. For some re- women, if wearing their hair straight is what they want to do, do it. If some women wear their hair curly is what they want to do, do it. If some women want to pick it out, do it. If some people want to finger curl it, do it. We don't want anything that you experience in your life to be impacted by your hair. That's the issue. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, I feel like we've seen it even with, you know, different different hairstyles that have different, you know, associations. Like I'm thinking now about Shakari Richardson with everything going on. Yep. And, and I think that a lot of people judged her because she had this bright orange hair, right? And that's something that if it was on a white girl, for example, I don't think she would have gotten as much scrutiny. So there's just this constant policing of black women's hair, no matter what we do with it. It's it's so much. <laughs> it can be so difficult sometimes. Yeah. And I think the thing that's interesting is that your hair can tell a whole narrative. And I feel as Black women, we're, we're trying to control the narrative that our hair is telling. Yeah. So depending on what colors you dye it, depending on how you style it, depending if it's straight, if it's natural, that means different things about your character. It doesn't, but it makes it seems as if it means different things about your character, depending on how you wear your hair. Yeah, exactly. And and it's interesting sort of thinking about that idea of, of our hair as related to our identity or our character. Because there were some women who I interviewed who felt like their hair, their afros were deeply connected to their identity. And then there were some women who, who I talked to who said, no, it's, you know, it, it doesn't have anything to do with my personality. It's just, you know, how my hair grows out naturally. And so that's interesting too, you know, how every woman relates to her hair in a, in a different way. Yes, Absolutely. Now we will pause for a moment of meditation with Dr. Crystal Jones. So wherever you are right now, just take a moment to be. Be in your awareness. Be in your truth. Be in your wholeness. Allow yourself to show up as light, dark, and every shade of gray in between. Feeling your presence experiencing your truth finding your breath and instead of directing her listen to her ask her where she wants to spend more time and spend more time there ask her where she's stuck and go into the experience of why. Be in this breath, be in this movement, and continue to cultivate this experience through the rest of your day. Honoring that your truth and whatever you show up as is always enough. You are perfection and excellence personified. Anything that tells you that you're anything else no longer serves you. What was the biggest thing that you were you found out 
when you were putting your book together that surprised you? That's a good question. The biggest thing that surprised me when I was putting my book together, I mean, I guess, you know, the happiest surprise was seeing how many black women were willing to come together to be part of this book for my little sister. Cause when I reached mm. out, I said, Hey, you know, I'm working on this project to teach my little sister to love her natural hair. Would you be a part of it? And some of these women I knew and some of these women I didn't know. And the fact that even women who I didn't know were willing to be part of this project because they resonated with Chloe because they were once in her shoes. I mean, mm. I that was just such a testament to the power of black sisterhood, which mm. I already knew that our sisterhood is strong, but it was just a beautiful reminder. Yes. How is, how is a way that you try to invest in black sisterhood? Because I know for me, that's very important. And I try to always make sure I'm doing what I can do to kind of be included in Black Sisterhood or be a part of that or really invest in it? Is there any strategy that you have that help you invest in it even more? That's a good question. I think there's so many different ways to invest in Black Sisterhood. I mean, even little things like complimenting each other, right? Building each other up, affirming each other. And then this is, you know, this might seem a little random, but but one thing that I've been really enjoying is going to Black-owned bookstores and especially Black woman owned mm-hmm. bookstores. I, I think that it's, you know, only, I think it's only 6% of independently owned bookstores are, are black owned. And so I think it's really important to support our people in that way. And so I love mm. that I can buy from black women owned bookstores. Um, and I can read books written by black women, you know, and, and support yes. them in that way. Especially now that I'm an author, I'm like, Oh, okay. I really want to support <laughs> <laughs> What's beautiful is that black and green is only black women artisans. And it's interesting because it's not a big part of our marketing. Um, it's not something that we talk about and push quite often, but all of our products are created by black women because the sisterhood is that important to us. Yeah, I love that. And I, I think that's so important that Black women have have a, have spaces like that, right? Where we can just buy buy things from from one another and support each other's dreams. Because it really is more than just buying a product, right? It's supporting someone's livelihood, Bingo. But, you know, someone's passion. Bingo. When I read the book, Our Black Year, and I understand, understood that I could vote with my dollar, it made me an intentional consumer. I was so thoughtful about everything I bought. I want to make sure I was buying from Black women who are investing in their dreams. Yeah, I love that. And and it really is. I mean, there's so many Black women-owned businesses. Even, you know, I, I went vegan a couple years ago and... There are so many Black women-owned vegan places in here in Washington, D.C., you know, so even down to the food we eat. Yes, there really is. It's, I'm a pescatarian, and there's tons of Black-owned vegan places. I need you to tell me more because I'm in Maryland, so I would love to see if there's any I haven't been to yet that I can go oh, try. Yeah, and there's actually a great, uh, I think it's, I think it's every year this, uh, like, Black vegan festival in I think it might be Baltimore. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that, but I'll, I'll find it. We're going to find it. Maybe we can meet up and do it together. I think that'll be so fun. That would be amazing. <laughs> that. That'll be so fun. <laughs> <laughs> do you have anything else that you want my listeners to hear? 
I guess I just want to say that I'm really grateful to be involved in this community in this way. And I guess I would just say that I'm inspired by everybody else who's following their dreams because Mm. so often I feel like, especially as black women, we're told to sort of be realistic, right? Whether that's because of the funding, whether that's because we're black, like whatever it is, you know, I think that sometimes it's really nice to have a reminder that we can follow our dreams. And so for me, whenever I see, you know, black women entrepreneurs, I am really inspired because it's a reminder that I too can go after my dreams. And so I I think that's important, right? I think it's important to recognize that by you going after your own dream, you're also helping and inspiring someone else. I think that's the best part of thinking about a creator, that you're actually hitting three different levels. And I say that all the time about Black and Green. I said, yes, I'm connecting Black women with non-toxic products so they can live healthier lives and not be exposed to having products with all these toxic ingredients in them. But I'm also investing in Black-owned women brands to help them create products and help them create products and create businesses so they can scale. So it's kind of like we're reaching these two goals by doing one thing. I love that. I, I'm really inspired by your work. I feel like it's, it's already made such an impact in so many lives. And I, I can't wait to see, you know, just more and more of the women that become involved in this community because it yes. really is a beautiful thing that you've started. It was so funny how this became just a little side hustle and I was still a professor and I just went home and was packing boxes out of my closet and just sending it out. Had no idea what it would turn into. But it goes to show the number of Black creators we had out there who were creating amazing products that we did not know about and the number of Black women who wanted to use them. Yeah, and that's amazing because for so many Black women, this is this is exactly what we want. We just don't know how to get to it. So so it's it's I think it's amazing what you're doing by connecting all of us. Yes, yes. It's been such a joy to be on this path and just go wherever I'm led to go to continue to build it to meet the needs of my community. Yeah. Well, thank you for all of the, thank you for everything. And thank you for having me on, on your podcast. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for tuning into the Black and Green podcast. Did you have more questions for our special guest? Please leave your questions in the comment section. Also, check us out at blkgrn.com. Please subscribe and comment. We love hearing from you. Until next time, buy black and live green.